Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our 2021 NBA free agency breakdown. But today we have a first-time guest to help break down NBA free agency with us. So please welcome from Hot Takes on Hoops, Jackson Chin. Hey guys, how you doing? Um, they introduced me, but yeah, I'm Jackson Chin, and I run an Instagram account. Um, username is Hot Takes on Hoops, and I do a lot of the same stuff these are guys are doing right now, just in a different media form. Um, so I do a lot of breakdown stuff, a lot of rankings, just breaking down free agency and offseason moves right now. So um, yeah, pretty much it. And on that note, let's give Jalen the floor because he has some questions for you and I. So Jalen. Take it away. Let's get this episode started. Yes, sir. So Jackson, actually, uh, the reason why we have him on this episode is because Jackson is actually the inspiration for us recording this episode. Um, me and Ryan, when when trying to figure out who we wanted to have on as our next guest to be able to discuss this NBA free agency, we actually stumbled upon one of his graphics, super dope graphics page. If um, you guys haven't checked it out already, you definitely should. We'll have the um, Instagram at name in the, the description of the episode. Definitely give it a follow. A lot of really intriguing content over there, as well as some really dope graphics but yeah like i said beforehand um jackson actually did a like free agent predictions uh graphic right before free agency really got this uh got underway and since then a lot of moves have taken place a lot of things have happened we're kind of in the 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 back nine of free agency now as we're later on uh, in the week we're recording this um on friday august 6th so right as deals and stuff are starting to finally be officially inked and trades are obviously officially being uh confirmed as complete so um with that being said guys we're going to just jump right in it by talking about who we believe um are the most interesting free agent signings regarding players who change teams this offseason so jackson as the, as the uh the first time guest on the podcast i'm actually going to start with you who is the most interesting free agent signing so far that you've seen in terms of guys who have changed teams um during this free agency period yeah, I definitely think most interesting has to be DeMar DeRozan, at least up there on a lot of people's lists, just because DeMar is kind of an interesting player in his own right. Um, you know, he has that playmaking ability um, at the two or the three position, but he also is not a born great shooter, but he is a great slasher and a great mid-range shooter and can create his own shot pretty much from anywhere inside the arc. Um, so it's a very interesting fit for any team, really. But I really thought the best team that he could have gone to was the Bulls just because of their makeup of the team. They have the leading scorer, really efficient lead guard in Zach Levine coming into this offseason, but not really a whole lot else. And they really needed a boost in terms of playmaking because you have Kobe White, but I feel like he's much more suited as like that kind of score energizer off the bench. And they went out and got Lonzo, which is a good signing just because he provides spacing so he can play off ball a little bit, but he also provides some playmaking. And then DeMar really complements Levine and Lonzo well because he's very similar in ter- um, to Lonzo in terms of that he can provide that playmaking, that facilitating ability, um, which Levine, really his only weakness in this game is his facilitating. He's improving there. But just DeMar, just because of the fit with Lonzo and Levine, and I just think that the Ted trio really has in um, Chicago. 
Yeah, I think the fit with DeMar DeRozan is really interesting because, of course, the big thing is that, you know, from a veteran presence standpoint, we needed an upgraded three, talking about the Chicago Bulls. Um, It sucks that they had to include Thaddeus Young in that exchange as opposed to Laurie Marketing, who's still kind of shopping around and uh, restricted free agency. I think considering that we really want to bolster up that three position, and it's really easy to grab fours and fives who can just play solid minutes especially because we know Vucevic and Patrick Williams at the th- uh, at the four and five are gonna pretty much eat up a good amount of that time having uh, having a tweener guy who can play um the regular four or play small ball five and Thaddeus Young is definitely a bit of a big loss especially if we lose Laurie Markin in a free agency we'll see if that uh if that deal gets done in the form of maybe a sign-in trade that'll help bolster up that three spot but DeMar DeRozan's versatility definitely helps in that department considering like you said beforehand he has that playmaking ability with the switch ability that we saw with San Antonio where I mean the dude practically played the one through five uh for that team during stretches especially after the buyout of LaMarcus Aldridge so I think DeMar DeRozan is a really interesting fit because some people think that he fits really nice in this group and other people's are other people kind of wonder um exactly what his role will be considering that he's more of a mid-range threat and this is a team that definitely is going to get out to run. Uh Ryan, who do you believe is um one of the most interesting free agent signings regarding teams that change uh, regarding guys that change teams this offseason? I'm actually going to go with DeMar DeRozan's former teammate in Kyle Lowry and it's not the fact that he left Toronto it's the destination, actually. The Miami Heat seemed like a great fit for Kyle Lowry, and it's great for Miami because they had a lot of money available to make a big move. you got a championship point guard that gives you consistency on both sides of the floor. He can shoot the ball from the field. He can shoot the ball from three. He's a solid defender. He provides more veteran leadership, and he can lead the first unit on the floor while getting the chance to shine in the spotlight. And keep in mind, Miami is not asking him to be a first option. They're not asking him to be a second option either. They're asking him for consistency, and I think he's going to embrace that role. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that you say there is that they're not asking him to be some crazy option for them. I mean, at the end of the day, the biggest the biggest impact that he can have is that he has to be better than Goran Dragic, right? I mean, essentially, that's the big kicker here in terms of them taking the next step forward because of the fact that we're talking about a guy who is – of course, an all-star caliber player, but had a bit of a dip season. Some will cater that to the fact that, hey, he was paying, he was playing in Tampa. That's a tough one. Um, considering that you're not used to having, you're not able to have that, you know, home crowd behind you and things like that. Some would also blame it on the pandemic just by itself. You know what I mean? He does have two children. He's in a circumstance where it was a lot of uncertainty. Maybe he wasn't playing at his best. I do think that he shot relatively well from three still last season, which is definitely a good sign for him. So I think that that's a huge one um, moving forward because I think that Miami, um, there's a lot of people that are not willing to uh, put them third in the pecking order in the Eastern Conference just yet. Um, just because they, the, because the East is just so jam packed. The, the entire Eastern Conference has definitely improved via the draft and free agency so far. So it's going to be interesting to see where people stand on them come the beginning of the season because right now I think a lot of people are on the fence about them because of how old they are. But I think that that was a really interesting pairing. And I mean, <laughs> worst comes to worst, they're going to be one of the best defenses in the league, if anything. So maybe they might have some trouble scoring the rock, but I am not worried about them being able to lock up on the other side, especially with them getting PJ Tucker as well. 
Um, the guy that I'm going to go with is actually Kemba Walker. This is a guy that we weren't actually expecting to be in this free agency class. He technically wasn't. He was bought out um, via Oklahoma City, which nobody really anticipated. He had a really steep price tag. He was floating around 28, 30 mil in terms of what he was going to be owed. And uh, that was over the course of two years that he was going to have that double back. So it was really interesting that they decided to go for that. Goes to show you how committed they are to the tank process. They definitely want to let their young guys get out and run, especially with Josh Kitty, who they just drafted at six. But for the Knicks, I think this is huge. Um, as an Atlanta Hawks fan, this definitely scares me a smidge because I think if they had Kemba Walker last season during the playoffs, then I think things might have been a little bit different in that first round matchup because the only thing that the Knicks were missing was a was a point guard shot creator. That was the main thing that they were missing in that series. And when they got that play from a guy in Derrick Rose, that was when they had their best chances in that series. So um I actually think that getting uh Kimball Walker mixed with the fact that they were able to bring back Derrick Rose, um, get Nerlens Noel, bring in Evan Fournier, they even extended Julius Randle. I mean they're they're pretty much building up a core that I think is gonna be really interesting next year because Again, with the East getting so good in one offseason, I don't think you can really peg anybody as a lock. I think the one team maybe you can you can sign off for that is definitely Brooklyn, I feel like, all injuries aside. But after that, I think when you talk about the seeding order, it definitely gets tricky in terms of where these guys will end up in the um, in the standings. Um, let's talk about some re-signings, though. I think this is where things get really interesting. Um, Ryan, I'm actually going to start with you this time. Who do you believe is one of the most impactful free agents that re-signed to their team? A couple, a couple guys that come to mind, Chris Paul, Mike Conley, John Collins got an extension, uh, Duncan Robinson. Is there anybody, uh, of that group or anybody else that I didn't name that, uh, seems really intriguing to you? I would say Tim Hardaway Jr. And this is a player that was at the top of the list for the Dallas Mavericks to re-sign. He became part of this Mavericks core and also became a dangerous three-point shooter in the process. And in the playoffs, he turned into a reliable second option for the Mavericks as he was the team's second leading scorer in the playoffs this past season. I expect this season he's going to continue on with this role, given we don't know the status of Kristaps Porzingis or what the future looks like for Kristaps Porzingis. I think if he could keep up this consistency shooting from the floor, I think Dallas could become a great three-point shooting team. Keep in mind, they also re-sign, they also signed Reggie Bullock and Sterling Brown, who also shot the ball well from three with their respective teams. So this could be a dangerous three-point shooting team next season. Yeah, I think Tim Hardaway Jr. is pretty much the only guy that uh, they couldn't afford to lose when you talk about their free agency. In terms of looking at the landscape of things, he was the big guy that if everything else fell through, Mads fans expected him to be the next priority if the Kyle Lowry's of the world, if the Mike Conley's of the world, if the Spencer Dinwiddie's of the world were already signed, which in this case, a lot of those guys have already made their plays. Uh, Lowry to the Heat, uh, Conley back to Utah, and in terms of Spencer Dinwiddie, the sign and trade to the Wizards. So I think the bare minimum the Mavericks could have done is bring back Tim Hardaway Jr., especially with the fact that he played so well last year. So it's good to see him back in that Mavs uniform, and hopefully he'll be able to take a next step to help this team in the playoffs. Uh, Jackson, who who would you say is an interesting re-signing that will uh, have some significant impact next season? Yeah, I think that Chris Paul is definitely the most impactful re-signing just because – I'm a little iffy on the Suns team just because 
We don't know what their ceiling is yet. They have a very interesting roster. Booker and Aiden are young, and you would think that they have more a higher ceiling, more opportunities to grow. But we don't really know that, and I think that, you know, with their current roster and with Chris Paul being the age that he is, I think they probably reached their ceiling with that big three. Um, but with re-signing Chris Paul and the moves that they made to strengthen their bench a little bit, the acquiring Landry Shamit, um, re-signing Cameron Payne, I think that they extended that ceiling maybe a little bit. I don't know how they're going to compete in a West that is potentially, hopefully, healthy next year um, with the Nuggets and the Lakers being back and hopefully Kawhi is back by playoff time. But um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I think that just re-signing Chris Paul um, extends that ceiling a little bit. The only interesting about, thing about that signing is that um, the figure came in at four years instead of three years, which is really interesting because by the, the end of the contract, he's going to be 40 years old. So we're, a big thing in that is that we're going to have to see how he ages as well. Yeah, I think that's the big uh, the big tidbit, uh, Jackson. I'm really glad that you touched on that because that age 40 season aspect of this uh, re-signing is huge. Um, I hope that the language um, in this contract for the Phoenix Suns is very proper in terms of the guaranteed money because I definitely think it would be dangerous to be, uh, you know, having a very significant amount of assets allocated to a 40-year-old Chris Paul who by that time – um, I really think there's no guarantees as, you know, whether he remains in the league, how he plays up until that point, what kind of player he even will be at that point. Um, I genuinely don't know, and I don't see it going as well as most Phoenix fans would hope. So with that being the case, again, I hope the guarantees are not significant. Hopefully this is one of those contracts that actually decreases over the course of the couple of years, so maybe they make it very hefty in the beginning, and the number goes down as he gets closer to that age 40 year, but I think he's got at least one more year to legitimately run it back. I think your uh, your comment about them hitting their ceiling is another really important one, because if they did, the money they just forked over, especially with the fact that they're flirting with the with the high luxury tax uh, by getting bringing Cameron Payne back on the you know the mid level and things like that, it's gonna be really interesting to see what they decide to do moving forward because they are pretty much set with this core now. Um, the guy I'm gonna go with, I was torn between two guys, um, Mike Conley and Shea Gilgis Alexander. I'm just gonna go really quickly on both of them just because of how intriguing that both situations are. For Mike Conley, Utah had to basically offload a handful of guys and a handful of contracts just to be able to make the money for them work. Derek Favors is the one big soldier that really took his fall in terms of having to be sacrificed for the sake of bringing Mike Conley back. But they had to do what they had to do in order to make that work. They're, Mike Conley is one of the better fits next to Donovan Mitchell in that backcourt. We still haven't really been able to see Conley next to Donovan Mitchell over the course of a full playoff series. Um, in high combat, it's kind of been a lot of either Donovan's out for a sec, Mike Conley's out for a sec. We just haven't really been able to see the full grouping. And on top of that, between all the money they've got wrapped up in Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, I mean, they don't have many other moves that they're able to actually make unless it involves making some trades involving like Jordan Clarkson um, and uh, so on and so forth. So I thought that that was really important for them. And then with SGA, I think it was just out of the mere fact that he was actually on the trading block 
around around draft night in terms of making a play at the number one overall pick to get Kay Cunningham talking to, uh, with talks in Detroit. Um, I think it's just interesting because the fact that now that they've committed to him, it shows that he is a part of what their future core is. I mean, obviously, it gets a little tricky because at the end of the day, if somebody thinks that he's a top-end talent and is willing to make the big money trade for him, the Thunder might listen. But for the most part, with the young core they have, it definitely looks like they want SGA to be the pillar of that. So I thought that was really important because I felt like if they did trade him, it was only going to further emphasize how much of a – uh, a tanking team this could be in the coming years. Um, so we're going to go to underrated free agent signings um, now, and we're still going to talk about guys who uh, – we're going to go back to guys who change teams. Jackson, I'm actually going to start with you. Who's an underrated free agent signing regarding guys who change teams that you think could have a, a significant, significant impact next season? Yeah, I think Patty Mills is definitely a really underrated signing because of what he brings to the Nets. Um, it's really about the fit with him because the Nets were really searching for that guy off the bench um, at any position that could just kind of carry the load offensively. Um, they have, We know that they have the three superstars and that one of them is probably going to be at the floor, on the floor at all times. But just having Patty Mills is just kind of that guy that at max can be a second guy on the floor, um, scoring option that can fill it up and also just lead a unit and also provide spacing because he also shoots 40% from three. And I think just getting him at that $6 million per year mark at the MLE is really valuable for the Nets. Um, I think that really fills out their bench well. Um, and basically all the moves that they've made, I feel like they played the draft perfectly. Um, and they didn't have to do a whole lot of free agency, obviously, just because they kind of have their pieces in place. Um, but getting Mills is great, and I think that the icing on the cake will be if they can eventually get rid of um, DeAndre Jordan because I would really look forward to a center rotation of Claxton and Dayron Sharp in the future. And I actually want to stick with you when we talk about Brooklyn, uh, Jackson, because I think that they're really interesting with the way their offseason has been, bringing back Blake Griffin. Obviously, like you mentioned beforehand, Pat, Patty Mills on the MLE, I think it's a steal, especially with the fact that it uh, it was reported that Golden State was um, going after him pretty heavy. Um, so being able to keep him away from that backcourt as well, I think it's huge. Getting back Bruce Brown and picking up, I guess you could argue that he's more of like a defensive stopper nowadays, but James Johnson is just a really interesting like locker room presence as like a tough guy act kind of thing for them. Um, how do you feel about Brooklyn? Overall, um, between their draft, of course, like you mentioned beforehand, De'Ron Sharp, but of course there's Cam Thomas as well, um, and free agency. When you put all that together, how do you feel about Brooklyn moving forward? Because a lot of people are penciling them in as the favorites. Um, a lot, of, a lot of people could argue that it could have been them hoisting up the trophy this year instead of Milwaukee had, you know, Kevin Durant wore a size shoe just about a size shorter. So, I mean, how do you feel about Brooklyn moving forward considering the totality of everything they've done this offseason? Yeah, I mean, they're one of the mo- most well-rounded teams in the NBA. I mean, obviously, um, they, you could always use more depth, but when you have three superstars on max contracts, it's pretty much they pretty much fill out the roster as well as they can. And I think that if they just stay healthy throughout the season and just monitor the minutes of their big three, Harden, Kyrie, and Durant, and they just keep those guys healthy throughout the regular season, um, they could probably probably still get a pretty high seed. I mean, we saw what happened last year. They got the second seed and they weren't totally healthy pretty much any of the time throughout the season. And then just get it by playoff time where they're healthy. I don't see any healthy teams stopping them because my philosophy is always, even if you're on the top of the league, 
Um, you should always get better on it. I know they didn't win the championship, so that incentivizes them to get better anyway. But even if they won the championship, I feel like they should have made all the moves that they made this offseason. Um, they played it perfectly. They traded Landry Shamit for a pick, um, knowing that their guy Dayron would be there, who'd been rumored for a long time to go to them. And, and then they took a flyer on one of the very talented guards in this class on one of them, and they ended up on Cam Thomas, who I think is going to be maybe crack a rotation his rookie year and just be a really good spot-up shooter. Um, he took a lot of difficult contested shots at LSU, so I think he'll benefit from that role. Um, I'm pretty sure he shot about 41% on catch-and-shoot opportunities in college, so I think that'll be good for him. And I think that they're definitely the favorites. I don't see um, any team stopping a healthy Nets team. Yeah, Brooklyn looks extremely scary this season, and the fact that they decided to come back revamped is even scarier considering that this will be the first full season with the big three as constructed, and the fact that they're kind of doubling down on getting talent around them to fill out that bench. They were playing on their hind legs in that series against Milwaukee, so I think they took that to heart that they definitely needed some more depth to really fill things out when those guys go down. Um, Ryan, who is an underrated free agent signing for you in terms of guys who changed teams this offseason? I would say Lonzo Ball to the Chicago Bulls. If you look at Lonzo this past season, I think he had the best season of his career so far. Uh, he had career best in points per game, shooting from the field, and shooting from three. And I thought this was a great pickup for Chicago because I think they found a point guard that can fit next to Zach Levine on the floor. He's a solid facilitator, and he has an improving three-point shot. And I feel like much like Kyle Lowry, you don't need him to be the first option. You just need him to lead the offense. And I think what this move indicates is that Kobe White will come off the bench and lead that second unit, which I think will be great because you need to add scoring. You need to add scoring production coming off the bench as the Bulls ranked 18th this past season in bench scoring. So I think it will be beneficial to have a guy who can give you 15 and five lead the second unit coming off the bench. So let's, um, Ryan, I'm going to stick with you on this one when we talk about the Chicago Bulls. Let's like really take a, a look at their roster. And of course, we'll do this a little bit more in depth when we um, get to that section of the Wheel of Fandom series. But I still think that it's worth kind of taking a look at right now in terms of how they are constructed. We talk about Lonzo Ball, right? Obviously, Zach Levine, Nikola Vucevic, who they definitely committed a lot of assets to to acquire from the Orlando Magic, you talk about DeMar DeRozan, Patrick Williams. I think when you talk about this roster overall, right, there's a lot more athleticism in this roster. They picked up Alex Caruso in the offseason as well. I thought that was a sneaky pickup. Uh, getting Ayo DeSumo in the draft, a uh, hometown kid, I, I pray that he actually gets some burn. Um, this season, I'm, I'm finding it kind of hard to figure out where he's pegged at, considering that I don't think he can play the three for this team. And so off the bench, we know that Kobe White, if they want to continue to see his development, he's going to come off. And we know Alex Caruso is relatively interchangeable. But if you had to look at this team on paper, obviously Laurie Markkinen is the odd man out right now because he's a restricted free agent and is tabling talks with teams like Charlotte and things like that. But we could still make a sign-in trade uh, um, involving him, so there's a chance to still improve. But just based on what you see on paper for what the projected team is, um, who do you believe is the, uh, the ideal starting five for this team in order for them to actually be successful? Because I think that's the tricky part for me. I've been having a little bit of trouble with that because I've I've been under this, under this impression that maybe instead of starting Patrick Williams because of the kind of depth we need at the three, 
to maybe have him come off the bench and it would require us to kind of, you know, step up in the center position. Obviously, there's some interesting guys that come to mind on our roster. But, like, what do you believe the ideal starting five is? Because I'm not mad at Williams starting, but it does kind of, you know, it does make me wonder a little. So I think Lonzo and Zach Levine would be in the starting backcourt. Like I said, I think fit-wise it makes sense. I'd probably say DeMar at the three and Patrick Williams at the four or swap them three and four. I think fit-wise, like I, like I mentioned, I think DeMar DeRozan, a guy that is a very solid mid-range shooter as well, I think that he fits next to Patrick Williams who came out came out of Florida State as a guy who was a solid three and D was a solid 3 and D player. And then Nikola Vucevic, who could hit the three. I feel like you, you have a very interesting lineup of guys who are athletic, but can give you what you need on both sides of the floor. Yeah, I think that the big thing with this team that just has me kind of nervous is we are a pretty light in the pack. Pretty much from a center position, we pretty much only have Tony Bradley behind Nikola Vucevic. That's not saying a lot. 6'10", 23-year-old guy who can definitely be a good rim runner, good rim defender. I think that that'll be probably his big calling card. I think, honestly, the biggest worry that I have still is that 3-4 position. It literally looks like our, our second unit right now will be Alex Caruso, uh, Kobe White, probably Troy Brown Jr. at the 3, um, which will be kind of interesting. Um, again, makes me kind of wonder how you can carve out minutes for Ayo Desumu. And then, like I said beforehand, when you get to this, the power forward and center position, it gets kind of dicey. Here's something you want to say? Yeah, I think what could be interesting is a possible three-guard lineup, whether it's mm. in the starting, whether mm. it's a starting lineup or coming off the bench. Because I think you could have Kobe White in the starting lineup, although I think it would make sense to have Alex Caruso as the possible starting third guard. In your starting lineup, that way you get more minutes for Io DeSumo coming off the bench. I also think it will be interesting to see what happens with Laurie Markkinen, considering that if they if he resigns, I think he could be a small ball five essentially for your team, a guy that could stretch the floor, hit some threes. I think that could be the best way of going about it if you wanted to get creative with your starting lineups. But yeah, I just want to say that. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely interesting and definitely important when you talk about Laurie because if he is going to be this on this team, he can be a small ball five for us, and that'll help us with our rotation. I think that'll be huge. But if he's not, then I think that we have to find a way to do some kind of signing trade to bolster up either the three spot, the four spot, or the five spot, or hopefully maybe all in all in one, depending on what kind of trade package can be sent. Um, can be put together with Charlotte. So it'll be really intriguing to see what they do because I think this is a very top-heavy kind of team, and I think it is a team that can go about seven or eight deep. The only issue is when you get to that second unit, like I said, it gets really light in the pack, and Nikola Vucevic is already not a really great rim defender. So if you put us in a position where we really don't have great rim defense on the on the, on the the uh, the starting unit and we don't have very great offensive talent on the second unit – it definitely is going to cause some significant problems. Um, for me, my underrated signing is P.J. Tucker to Miami. Um, the reason why I'm going with P.J. Tucker is because of the fact that I think there's a twofold here. I think the first thing, obviously, is that he's able 
uh, he's able to guard some of the top small forward power forwards in the league. This is proven. This has been his pretty much his calling card, especially with the fact that he hasn't been the same dead eye three point shooter from the corner that he's been in years past. The fact that he played next to Giannis Antetokounmpo should be something that'll be interesting moving forward. He was in that locker room. He was in that training area, that training facility with him. He's picked up some moves that Giannis might have, and I think that'll be something interesting from a scouting standpoint. We obviously saw how he did a number um, on Kevin Durant. Obviously, he didn't keep him in check, but he sure as heck was the best chance Milwaukee had in terms of defending a guy in Kevin Durant. And then across the board, it just helps Miami improve their defense overall. And then I think the big thing, too, when you talk about that is if he can get back to being a high-level three-point shooter from the corners the way it used to be, then he's an actual asset to this team. If he's just a defensive presence for this team, he's going to be a bit of a net negative because this team, team talking about Miami, is already a bit offensively challenged on paper. Um, Jackson, I actually want to get your take on that because I think that P.J. Tucker is a really interesting signing out of the fact that I don't necessarily know if they needed him, but it did seem like a cute move to get him away from Milwaukee. But do you view it as just a, a snatch at Milwaukee or do you view it as something that could be a net positive for for uh, the Heat? I think it goes both ways. I think it definitely helps in terms of just getting a player with championship pedigree out of Milwaukee, um, one of their starters, um, at least in the finals, and pretty much the guy who had a lot of important roles, you know, guarding Kevin Durant um, and just being that tough guy. But also, I think it also fills a need for them because they've been kind of searching for a power forward ever since Jay Crowder left. Um, that small ball four who can kind of be versatile, um, that's really what um, Pat Riley and Spolster seem to like at that four position. Um, and, you know, P.J. is in the same mold of, of, as Crowder in, in that he can. He's a smaller guy who's versatile on defense. He's not as versatile as Crowder offensively just because Crowder's younger um, and can do a little bit of uh, rim running. But um, P.J. Tucker still kind of fills, fills a role for them, fills a need. Um, they were just kind of plugging fours into the lineup pretty much all year. Um, they tried to pick up Nemanja Bielitsa, and that didn't really work. Um, so I think that this f- does fill a need for them. The only problem with this setting is the age, obviously, and also the fact that he didn't really – his one calling card on offense is hitting corner threes, and if he's hitting corner threes and giving you spacing, that's all you need for, for him to do offensively. But even last season, he wasn't really doing that at a high rate. So if he's just a tough guy, maybe on defense, maybe that's all this team needs, but – it would also be a plus if you could also provide some spacing. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, I, I mentioned it too, and um, I think I'm glad that you, I'm really glad that you doubled down on it because I think that's the most important thing is if he can be that spot up shooter on the corners, then he's an actual asset to this team. This team was already going to be relatively okay on the defensive end when you bring a bulldog guy like Kyle Lowry, obviously Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo around the rim. They were going to be okay as a defensive team. PJ Tucker just kind of adds to that, but if he can't be a a threat on the offensive end, it, it pretty much makes him uh, makes him a, a a net negative, like I said beforehand, because it creates four on five opportunities that the Miami Heat cannot really afford. Because yes, they can play really high level defense, but with these teams, these top level teams in the Eastern Conference, obviously Brooklyn is the measuring stick. They're going to put up points, and I don't think that just because you have a top-ranked defense in name means that you're going to be able to hold these guys in check moving forward. Um. Ryan, I actually want to get your take on something too that I thought was really interesting the um the other day because we had a little bit of a discussion about this um off 
off camera, but I think it's really important to maybe touch on the Clippers a little bit in this sense that when you talk about underrated signings, I think Reggie Jackson is the guy that comes to mind too, um, that I don't want to really walk away from this conversation without discussing. He actually re-signed with the LA Clippers, something that I felt like was relatively anticipated, but there were discussions with the Boston Celtics that I think kind of made things interesting. Um, he obviously made it very clear in his closing uh, statements with the L.A. Clippers after the playoff series um, against the Suns that they really helped him not only on his game, but in his mental. And I think it showed with the fact that I think he could have gotten a really big payday on the open market had he been a little bit more aggressive about chasing the bag. But instead, he really kind of took a bit of a discount as far as I'm concerned. I think it was like two years, 22 mil or something around that, that line. It was a, it wasn't really a crazy number for him. So with that being the case, like, how do you feel about Reggie Jackson re-signing with the Clippers? And like, what do you think that brings to the table? Especially considering this might be a season where Kawhi Leonard might not play, or at least we might not see him until after the all-star break. Yeah. So, I mean, just looking at other places that he was considering, we were talking about, Boston and New Orleans as other places where Reggie Jackson could go. I think Boston could have made a lot of sense considering that they needed a starting point guard. I wasn't sure if they were all in on Marcus Smart and also what the future would, would hold with uh, Damian Lillard possibly being a Boston Celtic. That could have been something that Boston was considering. I think with New Orleans, I think timeline-wise it wouldn't have made sense, but they were in need for a point guard as well. So I think they could have taken a chance they could have taken a chance on him. I think for the Clippers, though, this could be their second best move if they re-sign Kawhi. I think Jackson's stock skyrocketed with the Clippers this past season, and he proved to be one of the best ISO scorers in the playoffs. And I think the Clippers were backed into a corner this offseason because they lost out on Chris Paul. They lost out on Kyle Lowry. They lost out on Spencer Dinwiddie. So I thought this was the best move for the Clippers to run it back, essentially, with the same squad that led you to the Western Conference Finals and re-sign Reggie Jackson. I mean, he he was a guy that proved to be a reliable second option with Kawhi out, and the playoff games definitely helped prove his case. So if this is their only other roster move besides re-signing Nick Batum and then re-signing and then possibly re-signing Kawhi Leonard, I think this would satisfy Clipper fans. Yeah, I think that Reggie Jackson is a really interesting story overall, especially with the fact that this is a guy I definitely don't think he's worried about the money. The payday he got with Detroit was kind of enough to kind of speak for itself. I don't want to sit here and say that, you know, obviously, you know, he didn't need it, but it, de- it definitely seems as though he prioritizes happiness and fit in terms of the, uh, re-signing with the Clippers more than actually chasing the bag because I definitely think that there was a market out there for him, especially with the way that he was able to improve his stock um, in the play. Um, so, fellas, we're actually going to take all of these topics that we discussed and kind of uh, bring them all to fruition in a sense. Um, Jackson, I'm actually going to start with you. Um, what is your list for the top five free agent signings this offseason in terms of guys who change teams? This is focusing a lot more on their impact on next season and how it could influence the standings or even the race to the championship. Yeah, so number one, I got to go Kyle Lowry just because of a lot of the reasons Ryan stated prior. Um, he's going to be a great floor space for them. He's a consistent 40% guy from three, and he can also handle the playmaking duties, averaged seven assists last year. And I think that he brings the intensity on defense that not really that they needed because they have Jimmy Butler, they have a DPOI candidate next year, in my opinion, in Bam Adebayo. But it doesn't hurt, obviously. 
um, that he's one of the more well-rounded players in the league. I think he definitely brings them to that next tier to where if a Bucks team is or a Bucks or a Nets team isn't healthy um, at some point in the playoffs where they face them, I think that they could definitely give them a run for their money and potentially beat them in seven or six games. Um, so that'll be interesting. I think that if they really want to be in that conversation, they definitely have to make another move. And, you know, that's when that regret for not trading for Harden comes in. But, you know, um, if they got Harden, they wouldn't get Lowry. So you could argue that all day. But it's it's interesting to see the moves that they've made and where they've gotten. But I think this is one of the better outcomes for them. I think that they're going to be interesting. Second, I got Lonzo Ball just because of the reasons that have already been stated, the spacing. A lot of the things that Lowry gives the um, Heat, the Lonzo gives the Bulls just a little younger version with more potential, a little less, um, you know, established in the league. Um, defensively, we know what he can do. Um, taller point guard at 6'6 is going to be really good on that end. And just the spacing on offense, he's pretty much at 40% now, um, completely revamped his shot. Um, I think he could really experiment now with some off-the-dribble stuff, um, just being more aggressive offensively, um, and just flourishing in a more fast-paced system. Um, Stan Van Gundy and pretty much any coach the, that he had in New Orleans prior didn't really cater to the offense to him or Zion, if we're being honest. Um, and that's part of the reason I attribute to him only averaging like five assists last year because he just wasn't getting up and down a lot. With Levine and DeRozan on this team, it'll be um, pretty fast-paced, and um, I think he's going to flourish in that system. Um, three, I got DeMar um, for a lot of the reasons I've already stated. Um, just the playmaking ability, the fit with um, Levine and Lonzo. I actually think that DeMar could be an interesting guy um, because with what Houston did with um, Chris Paul and James Harden is what they did is they kind of um, changed their minutes up so that one of them ran with the bench unit and they kind of just um, – they didn't really play together the whole game until the end and closing time. I think it would be really interesting, and I think this might solve the bench issue um, that you were talking about earlier if – you know, DeRozan played the first three minutes of the game. Lonzo and Levine carried the offense. Um, and then DeMar came in um, with the second unit most of the time. And it might be a very interesting fit. I think there DeMar could um, really flourish in what he does best and um, while still letting Lonzo and Levine do what they do best. And it could also fill a need for them. So that would be an interesting role for him. Um, next at four, I got Fournier, Evan Fournier, um, going to the Knicks. I think that whatever role he fills, either as a um, hyper good six man, because um, he has that shot creation ability, or as just a spacer um, who can occasionally run the pick and roll on offense um, as a starter, I think either role would be great for this Knicks team. Um, obviously, that um, Hawks series, we saw that they kind of struggled um, with getting other guys to be aggressive offensively. Um, and getting sources um, outside of Derrick Rose, and we all know how Julius Randle struggled throughout the series. So they really struggled to find offense, as opposed to that Hawks team who could go to Hunter or Collins, um, Bogdanovich, Herter. Um, they had a variety of options outside their star player in Trey Young. Um, and I think that getting Kemba, getting Fournier, um, really fixes that for them, um, re-signing Derrick Rose, obviously. And then my last guy is um, Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, I think this is a really interesting signing for the Wizards. I'm not sure if they're a playoff team. I think at the most they're a seventh seed. I think that's their ceiling. Um, but Spencer Dinwiddie, pre-ACL tear, um, the season before then, he was averaging 21.
one and six. Um, I think that if he can get back up to that, that would be very interesting. I don't know if he will, um, but if he does, I mean, he he could rival um, Russell Westbrook in terms of impact on that team. I don't think he'll ever match the intensity or the skill level of Russ, but he could definitely make them an interesting team just with his ability um, to have some playmaking abilities. Um, he struggles with his shot a little bit, but they have spacing with Hachimura at the four. Um, we'll have to see who starts at the three, but they have Denny. Um, and then Beal um, can stretch the floor as well. So I think him just being a playmaking slasher kind of guy um, next to Beal would be really interesting. Um, and he would actually provide more spacing than Westbrook. So um, I think it's it's an upgrade even in that area, even if he's not stellar um, in terms of spacing either. Yeah, I want to touch on two things that you said in particular because I think that these two things could be really important moving forward. I think the first thing I want to touch on is the DeMar uh, scenario that you mentioned earlier. Um, I never really thought about it within that context of being able to stagger the minutes in order to make it where the lineups are a little bit more fluid. I think that might actually be something worth experimenting with, especially because, yes, DeMar is a bit of an athlete around the rim still, even with the fact that he's out, up in age, but he's a guy that definitely is a little bit better um, at a slower, more half-court oriented pace than playing up and down the floor the way Zach Levine and Lonzo Ball are going to want to. So I think that that's important too to take into consideration because yes, he can get up and down, but I don't think it's, it, I don't think it's where you can maximize his strengths like you were mentioning beforehand. I think that's done more so in the half-court, which I think that strength helps a guy in Lonzo Ball who's not as great in the half-court, but I think on the second unit, I think that's where things get in, in really impressive because at that point, you can maybe play through a guy like DeMar DeRozan in that grouping where you have Alex Caruso and Kobe White. Two guys that I'm not saying by any means can't score the ball, but I think you wouldn't want them to be, quote unquote, your first and second options offensively when your guys go to sit down and rest for a couple of minutes because of course, that's a situation where you might bite a couple leads. And I'll tell you, as a Bulls fan, there were a lot of games that were winnable last season that were lost by biting some leads. So I think having situations where you can have second units to kind of keep that gap closed would be uh, really huge for them. And then the other one is um, Spencer Dinwiddie. I think that one is really intriguing, too, out of the fact that um, – the Wizards didn't have to give up very much to make that acquisition either. I mean, it was pretty much picks that was the only things that needed to be involved to make that trade with Brooklyn. Um, I'm assuming this is because from a roster standpoint, they can't really accept very much more salary onto their, uh, onto their roster from a, um, from a money allocation standpoint. But being able to acquire Spencer Dinwiddie and keep a guy in Kuzma, who I think will really help with our 3-4 rotation, keep a guy in Montrezl Harrell, and of course KCP as well. I think that trade with Russell Westbrook, including um, Spencer Dinwiddie as part of that mix, I think now puts us in a really good situation if you're the Washington Wizards, talking about their depth from, you know, really, I mean, really their first eight to ten guys overall are pretty much rotational pieces that you could argue all could be starters on a different team. So I think it'll be intriguing to see how they play this year. I'm with you that they could top out as a seven seed at the best, um, but I think that that's at least a better set of circumstances when you talk about the fits on the roster than what we had last season. It'll be really interesting to see with a guard like Spencer Dinwiddie, how a guy like Denny Avdia, who plays really well with the ball in his hands, see how he might improve in year two because Russell Westbrook being on the roster basically turned him into a spot-up shooter, which for most who didn't know about Denny, that was literally the one big knock on him coming into his rookie year, and they pretty much 
played him to his weakness. So it'll be interesting to see how Spencer fits that role instead. Um, Ryan, what was your top five? Um, I know that this can be really interesting depending on how you mark things up because a lot of guys change teams and a lot of guys could or could not have impact depending on how you view those fits. But where do you stand on your top five? So I agree with Jackson putting Kyle Lowry to Miami at number one. I think fit-wise it makes sense. You need that championship experience, which is something I feel like they were lacking when they went to the championship in 2020. So I think getting Kyle Lowry as a as a solid three-point shooter and a solid defender, I think that was very, very beneficial. Number two, I'm actually going to group two Chicago signings together in DeMar DeRozan and Alonzo Ball. Alonzo Ball, the fit makes sense. He's a great facilitator. I think he'll gel well next to uh, Zach Levine. The DeMar DeRozan one I think will be interesting because I think there are going to be scenarios where he ends up playing the three, scenarios where he ends up playing the four next to Nikola Vucevic. We could end up seeing a situation, like Jackson mentioned, in Houston where they stagger the minutes of DeMar and Lonzo. Also, I think there's a situation where Lonzo ends up playing multiple positions on the floor at one point, maybe in Chicago. So I think his fit will be very interesting. Number three, I'm going to go with Spencer Dinwiddie simply because he provides something that Washington struggled with last season, that was defense. If you keep in mind, statistically, Washington was one of the worst defensive teams last season. So getting a guy who can possibly return back to form, like Jackson mentioned, a guy that can give you 21-6, but also give you that solid defense, I think that could be very beneficial and also for potential impact on on a possible playoff team next season. Number four, I have Evan Fournier to New York. I think with the with the bench scoring as well, uh, I think that's something that New York lacked in that Atlanta series. And I think it will be interesting to see a backcourt, possibly a starting backcourt, that has Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker next to each other. I thought Kemba was a great signing, too, given the, given the fact that New York really needs another shot-creating point guard. So I think that helped him out in the offseason. And number five, I have to say Patty Mills to Brooklyn. And I think when you talk about the biggest – improvements for a championship caliber team. I think when you get a guy in Patty Mills, 32 years old, guy that can give you 10 to 15 points coming off the bench. He's a solid microwave scorer. I think when you talk about improving, and to Jackson's point earlier in the episode, championship teams only can get better. So I think this was a move that only made Brooklyn better. And Ryan, I'm actually going to stick with you with two points and kind of, uh, kind of run things back with you in terms of talking about two guys in, um, Evan Fournier and Patty Mills. I think that the big thing with Evan Fournier is so interesting because his top end as a scorer, we've seen it in the Olympics. That guy can go off and when he gets hot, he's dangerous. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what his fit is on this roster. Um, Jackson mentioned him as a potential six man of the year kind of candidate in terms of him being a legit offensive threat off the bench for the Knicks. I think that that would be really intriguing considering he is a high level starter in most roles. So if he can be a guy on this role as a flamethrower scorer off the bench, it would be really intriguing to see what the Knicks look like when they compare that top five defense they had last year with a lot more offensive impact. And then with Patty Mills, I think the big thing with him is, again, I think we mentioned it earlier, when you talk about Brooklyn's depth, I mean, they got ugly as you got further throughout the playoffs um with that team i mean as guys kept dropping like flies obviously Kyrie irving um james harden as well two lead ball handlers you lose those two guys and you make a guy and kevin durant be 
not only your leading scorer, but now he's the guy with the rock in his hands all the time. Everybody rem- remembers the, uh, I guess it's infamous if you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan, but the, the crazy triple double on crazy efficient shooting that he had. But you can't ask a guy like Kevin Durant to do that every night. He, trust me, he's a legend. He could, he could probably do it if he really was, if he really, really had to, but that's not something you want to put on his back. Um, throughout, you know, four to four plus games in a seven game series. So uh, I think bringing in a veteran guy like Patty Mills is really important in terms of not only showing up their veteran presence, but of course, having another ball handler um, depth wise. Um, but with that, Ryan, I wanted to ask you um, a really intriguing question about your list. Um, specifically about that bottom half when you talk about the guys in Spencer Dinwiddie, Evan Fournier, and Patty Mills. I, I, I'm not asking from a who would show up in the stat sheet um, aspect, but who do you believe out of those three guys will have the most significant impact next season? These are all um, these are three teams in the Eastern Conference that are kind of all in different lanes, depending on how you view their team. Talk about the Nets with Patty Mills. They're pretty much the creme de la creme in the Eastern Conference right now. Talk about Evan Fournier with the New York Knicks. They're right there in the middle of the pack in terms of where most people view them. And then you talk about Spencer Dinwiddie with the Wizards, where basically with them, most people are expecting them to basically have to overachieve to even make the playoffs. So they're in really interesting tiers based on how you view the Eastern Conference. Who do you think out of those three guys will have the most um, impact as um, underrated signings this offseason? Because I think that's where things get really intriguing about making these kind of moves. So I think all three of them can be impactful, but I think the most impactful could be Evan Fournier. I think given what we've seen from him so far in the Olympics with France, him being one of the one of the lead scoring options on that team, leading them to the gold medal game against the United States, I think his his impact this season, it could translate from the Olympics over to the NBA as what Jackson mentioned earlier, a possible six man of the year candidate. What New York lacked in the playoffs, especially against Atlanta, not only a shot creating point guard, but more scoring coming off the bench. And I feel like they had to put a lot of pressure on Derrick Rose to be that guy starting to go back to MVP Derrick Rose and give them 30 points a game when in reality they didn't have the bench scoring to really help out with that. So I think getting a veteran like Evan Fournier as a certifiable sixth man, I think could be very, it could be very impactful on a New York team that no one expected to make the playoffs last year now seem like a playoff contender this year. And Jackson, I actually want to come back to you on this from the standpoint of talking about Evan Fournier in comparison to a guy in Kimball Walker. Now, obviously, um, the circumstances with that is this was really unforeseen in terms of them being able to acquire Kimba. But I genuinely think that picking up Kimba, Kimba might have saved their offseason when you think about Knicks fans and how crazy they can get talking about the kind of names they bring in. And, of course, they were in a situation when you talk about the kind of cap space they had. They were looking at all the big fish like they normally do. And up until Kimball Walker, Evan Fournier was actually probably their best signing, which is not the most attractive thing in the world. Um, from your standpoint, um, again, I mentioned this in the fact of I know on the stat sheet, obviously, it could come up where Kimball Walker would, quote, unquote, have the most impact. But out of those two, uh, when you look at them, the pairing of them as opposed to, you know, putting them against one another because they're on the same team. The combination of those two in this offseason, what do you think those two bring to the New York Knicks 
that they didn't have before in a way that can make them a legit playoff team as opposed to being an overachieving playoff team like they were last year. Yeah, I think that, you know, the one thing that they struggled with is offense. I mean, they had the number one defense in the league last year, and I think that what they're going to play pretty different roles, but I think what Kemba gives you is he's, you know, a solid three-point shooter. He's been better in the past than he was last year, so we'll see what kind of Kemba we get from deep next season, if he can be a floor stretcher. But even if he's not, um, he gives you a guy that can run the pick and roll, um, because before they didn't really have any natural guys that can run a pick and roll effectively. I mean, even Evan Fournier um, is solid in the pick and roll, but he's not really that um, triple threat option that can also facilitate really well out of the pick and roll. Um, they kind of jerry-rigged Julius Randle into that role last year, and, you know, that's not ideal. Um, he can do that for stretches. Um, he averaged almost six assists per game last year. He does have underrated vision, but Kemba is just a more traditional option there. Um, he can, he's great in the mid-range area still, um, and is a solid finisher. And he can also hit one of the many rim rollers they have on this team. They just got Mitchell Robinson back on the team option for cheap. Um, and they just re-signed Nolan's all in a bargain. So I think that's really valuable for them just to get someone like Kemba. And then Fournier, um, I mean, I think he just gives them someone that can, um, I would personally bring him, bring him off the bench. Um, you Again, you have to see what, in the first 10 games or so, I think you bring him off the bench, and then you see what kind of production you're getting out of your starters. Personally, I think that if RJ continues his progression, um, if Kemba um, looks like the Kemba of old, and that doesn't necessarily mean averaging 19 per game like he did last year because the stats are very deceiving with Kemba, um, but just being a guy that averages maybe a max of like 17 points per game but is more efficient and gives him that pick-and-roll option, and then having Randall and then Mitchell Robinson. Um, and if that's giving you enough um, production, then you keep Fournier off the bench. If it's not, then you can easily just plug Fournier in. And then you still have Alec Burks off the bench. You still have Derrick Rose off the bench. Um, but if, you're, if your offense is good enough, I mean, you have a bench of Edmund Fournier and Derrick Rose and Emmanuel Quickly and Alec Burks. Like, that is, that is going – that brings you from one of the teams with the least depth in the NBA – to one of the more deep teams in the NBA um, with just flamethrowers, a plethora of flamethrowers off the bench. Yeah, I think that's really important to touch on the depth of New York because I think that that was one of the big things that although they're not sexy names, and this is the part that gets tricky with New York fans because if they're not names that pop off the page, they tend to kind of uh, kind of run at them as opposed to run with them, I guess you could say. And I think that this is an off season where I think they decided to just go a, a little bit more of a blue collar route. I, th- I think still getting a New York guy, born and bred New York guy, and Kimball Walker is definitely something good for the city, of course, on on top of that. That was a lot of the draw with them going after Kyrie Irving once upon a time. Uh, you get Kyrie Irving light, which has been the, uh, the, the comparison for Kimball Walker for a while. And I still think that when you pair him, you talk about his pairing with Evan Fournier, and I think there's going to be staggered moments where they play next to each other. That's going to be a really interesting offensive lineup, too, um, with those two in the backcourt. So I think the Knicks, um, I know everybody wants to talk about the Heat as a splash team this offseason in terms of the moves they've made. Of course, Milwaukee's coming off the championship and Brooklyn is favored right now. But the Knicks are like sneaky good, which is really, uh, really good to see for them. Um, because I really, 
in my heart of hearts, I really don't believe that last year was an aberration. I genuinely believe that this is a team that with a, a few more roster tweaks could genuinely be like a perennial playoff team. And I think they made those kind of moves to to look like that for the foreseeable future. Um, guys, I'm going to go through my list pretty fast just because of the fact that most of the guys on my list we've kind of talked about already a little bit. I had Kyle Lowry at one. I had, uh, similar to Ryan, I had the pairing of DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball to Chicago at two. I figured that was just a package deal um, with those two. I had Spencer Dinwiddie at three going to Washington. I actually had Jeff Green at four going to the Denver Nuggets. I was debating on him and Kimba, but I feel as though Jeff Green was more of a free agent signing. Uh, the buyout aspect of Kimba Walker being picked up made it where I kind of left him be in terms of being a free agent within this class. He didn't really qualify. Jeff Green just gives them a lot of interesting uh, wing depth and wing length athleticism as well that I think they were kind of lacking depth-wise. Of course, they kind of addressed that, talking about Denver, when they made the trade for Aaron Gordon. But I also think that this is a team that could have used a guy like Jeff Green on the offensive end within their, um, you know, within the playoffs. Um, I think also bringing back Jermichael Green, too, was pretty interesting this offseason because now I think they've they shirt up that 3-4 spot, which is really important when you talk about, you know, having guys that can legit play next to Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic is a guy who... I mean, don't sleep on the minutes played. This is a guy who could play 48 minutes a night if you let him run. But the guys next to him are really important. So I think having two cogs in Jeff Green and Jermichael Green who can definitely fit side by side next to him, um, along with the fact that you have a guy in Aaron Gordon who can play between the three and the four, I think it fleshes out their depth in the in the front court. And um, it gives them a little bit more athleticism. We can't sleep on Michael Porter Jr. in that front court either. So I think the fact that they have the three and the four position shirt up is really good, especially with the fact that we don't know how long we're going to be missing Jamal Murray this season in terms of his play with the uh, the Denver Nuggets this year. So they can't really, you know, they weren't able to get that much better in the backcourt. They were able to bring back Austin River on a, Austin Rivers on a one-year deal. But sharing up the front court, like I mentioned beforehand, is at least a decent consolation prize. And then Patty Mills, um, like you guys said before, and for all the, the reasons you guys already listed, Patty Mills being a guy who will be able to provide for them off the bench, give a steady hand for them in minutes where Kyrie Irving and or James Harden are off the floor. Just a solid way to, you know, sure up a, a pretty decent offseason for the Brooklyn Nets, a team that didn't really need to improve very much to be a favorite in, you know, this upcoming season. Um, guys, before we move on to our next topic, I want to just get a, a quick gauge from both of you. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to start with you. Who was a guy on this list that we just made in terms of top five free agents that just barely missed your list in terms of their potential impact next season? I'm going to probably say Kemba. Because I think a fresh start is what he needed. I feel like the situation in Boston with him being the third option was was not a situation that he was fit for. He's a guy that could be a first or second option, and he is a primary shot creator. This is something that New York needed, and I think that there's a chance that Kemba is a guy that could flourish as a first or second option on this team, playing on the floor with guys like Julius Randle, playing on the floor with guys like Mitchell Robinson playing on the floor with R.J. Barrett and Evan Fournier as well. So I think that this he will make this New York team better because now they have an established point guard that can give you 20 to 25 points a game. Can he be cardiac Kemba will be the real question, considering he's back at MSG. 
Yeah, Jackson, same question to you, man. Who's somebody that, like, just barely missed your list in terms of this impact list that we've made, uh, talking about guys who changed teams who could have a significant influence on next season's outcome? Yeah, I mean, there's a jumbo of players. I mean, even Brian mentioned Kemba. Um, there's also Devontae Graham and Patty Mills. But I'm going to go with Devontae. Uh, I don't love the New Orleans, the Pelicans offseason in a um, – Right now, just because um, I think Lonzo is a much better option, a much better fit at point guard as opposed to Devontae. Um, Lonzo is actually better in terms of spacing, at least in terms of his three-point field goal percentage of last year than Devontae. Um, the, but Devontae does, in a vacuum, uh, it's a great value for Devontae, only $12 million a year, I'm pretty sure. And what he offers you is just um, still he offers spacing, 37% for three last year. Um, his efficiency is a, is a little low, um, for a lead guard than you'd like, but, um, he's a great, um, facilitator and underrated facilitator in the pick and roll. And, um, I think that he would be an interest, he'll be an interesting fit next to Zion and Brandon Ingram, um, moving forward. And again, I don't, I don't know about the, their whole offseason in terms of acquiring, acquiring Valanciunas. I think if they were going to go for just a full-fledged, um, fast-paced team, which they already kind of have with, the Devontae signing and they already have Zion and B.I. in place. Um, but I'm just not sure about the Valanciunas signing in their offseason as a whole. But in a vacuum, Devontae Graham is a great value. I think those are interesting picks. I'm actually going to go with a guy that I think is a little bit off the off the rail, but I think could be really important in terms of the championship picture. And I'm going to go with Malik Monk. Um, I think that he's just going to be an interesting guy on the fact that he's definitely going to fall into that run with Russ kind of lineup. You know, Russ is a guy who likes to play a lot more up-tempo um, as opposed to LeBron James and Anthony Davis who play a lot better in the, um, in the half-court setting. Malik Monk was also the, like, the kind of the, the initial domino effect that led to this team of kind of making some younger pickups after, you know, this was a team that started looking really good if you put, if you put them in a time machine for 2012. Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, um, Trevor Ariza, like this was a team that maybe, you know, a couple of years ago would have like looked like, you know, the Monstars with some of these, uh, some of these acquisitions. But a lot of people were worried about the fact that with so much age on their team, how would they fare in the regular season? I think with Malik Monk, especially him being like the first domino to fall, you follow that with Kent Bazemore, Kendrick Nunn, and then the big one I think that was huge was the re-signing of Taylor Horton Tucker. That was one that they, I mean, he was one of the guys they didn't want to include in a lot of the recent trades that were brought up during this past trade deadline in terms of making acquisitions for guys like a Kyle Lowry, for example. So I felt like if they lost him in free agency, Man, that would have been a big that would have been a big blow to their team. So I think Malik Malik Monk as a flamethrower offensively, as a guy who can give them a really good burst off the bench, I think that he's going to be asked to be able to just kind of be himself off the bench too, which I think will be huge because I think in Charlotte he. Since there was so much backcourt depth out there um, with the Hornets, he kind of was forced to kind of make the most of the time he got and couldn't even really play very relaxed. I felt like that was why he was so streaky was because he was forced to kind of just, you know, do whatever you can with the ball while you got it because you're not going to be out here that long. I think with the Lakers, he's going to get a lot more burn and get a lot more opportunity, especially on those nights where I think they'll probably rest guys like LeBron, Russ, and AD. I think those will be nights where – 
you can see some really uh, some high level games from from Malik Monk. I'm I'm calling at least five or six like really high level Malik Monk games within the first like three or four months of the season. So it'd be interesting to see how the Lakers fare. Um, closing in on the free agents before we get to the back end of this podcast, um, Jackson, I'm going to start with you. Who is one of the most intriguing free agents remaining to you? This list is kind of weighing down. Um, over the, the, the latter part of this week, we're kind of coming to the, the final moments of, you know, free agency. Um, who's a name that's really intriguing to you in terms of who, uh, who is left over? And if you have a team in mind that you think, uh, they would fit on, um, throw that out as well. Yeah. So you got the bigger names that might have asked for a little bit too much money in Markinen and Schroeder, but I'm actually going to go with, um, a smaller name, more of a role player guy in Josh Hart, um, who's a restricted free agent for New Orleans. I think that he's an interesting fit just with his ability to grab eight rebounds a game as a shooting guard. Um, he's one of the more aggressive um, role players in the game. He really kind of fits that. He's like a young P.J. Tucker, basically. I mean, he fits his role really well. He knows what he has to do. Uh, and to have a young player like that is really invaluable. Now, the names or the teams that he's rumored to go to is kind of less enticing just because – um, the Cavs have been heavily rumored. Um, I thought that, to be honest, I thought Josh Hart was going to be one of the first names off the board because the Cavs really seem set on getting him. And he'd be a great fit with the Cavs. Um, and I think Josh Hart at this point, with all, most of the money given out in terms of the contending teams, I don't think he's going to one of those contending teams just because he's worth – Josh Hart is worth more than, say, the MLE or even $10 million a year. I think his range is more like 12 or $13 million. Um, But the Cavs would be a good fit. Just because they, they, they're looking for wings at this point. Um, they have the backcourt of Sexton and Garland, and it looks like they're set on keeping Sexton because they haven't traded him yet. And, um, they locked down their front court, um, with Evan Mobley and re-signing Jared Allen. So I think getting a wing at heart would be pretty valuable. Um, and I don't really see, unless his value really drops and the Cavs don't want him to where he has to sign an MLE, I don't see a team really signing him. Um, but he would, he would be very interesting on the Cavs. Um, Ryan, um, pretty much same question in terms of anybody that's intriguing left in the free agent market. Like Jackson said, there are a couple of big names still remaining, um, depending on how you view their impact, obviously. Um, you can either respond by kind of doubling down on Jackson's pick, or, of course, you can pick your own if there's anybody else that stands out. I think Josh Hart is an interesting uh, guy in this listing, though. I think another player that stands out is J.J. Redick, and I know this is an interesting one because he's 37 years old, and I feel like a lot of teams could use a guy that just that gives you 10 to 15 points coming off the bench. I will say I think a team that could use him, or should I say teams that could use him, I would probably say like a New York, a Boston, or a Philly, a team that could add to their bench scoring I think would be very beneficial considering that Especially for Boston, this was a point that we made when we had Ian on for the Wheel of Fandom. Boston was one of the worst teams in terms of bench scoring. So I think if you get a guy like J.J. Redick who won't carry the bench essentially, but he'll be a guy to help them out, I think he can help boost that bench scoring up. I think if you put him on New York, I mean, this is a New York team that's poised for a playoff run this year. He could be a guy that runs alongside Derrick Rose coming off the bench, runs alongside Emmanuel quickly coming off the bench. This is a guy that you're not asking to give you 20 points. You just need him to give you 10 to 15 
maybe hit a couple threes here and there. I think that he's he would be valuable to a playoff team, especially. Yeah, and I agree with you on that. This is a guy who, from my understanding of last season, when he seemed like he wanted out from New Orleans, it seemed like he wanted to prioritize getting moved to a place on the East Coast for family purposes, um, as well as, you know, still being able to have an opportunity to compete um, on a playoff roster. So I think the teams that you listed kind of fit more of the mold of where he would like to end up if he is to sign with a team this offseason. I think it would be really intriguing because at the end of the day, shooters going to shoot. And I think, at the end, I think when you really look at a lot of these teams, there's no way you can kind of look at the value of a shooter like J.J. Redick and just kind of sleep on him. Um, of course, like you mentioned before, and his age has a significant impact on what his potential number could be in free agency. But I think if he's accepting something around the veteran minimum or maybe something a little bit above that, then he might be somebody that's that's worth taking a swing on if you're one of these East Coast teams that definitely could could use the additional shooting from a guy like J.J. Reddick. Um, guys, I'm going to go with the with the obvious name here. I know it's, uh, you know, not the most exciting pick in the world, but I think it's important to touch on Dennis Schroeder. This is a guy who, like, during the season well is well-documented for, like, looking for about 100 to $120 million this offseason. Um, that same dude just got replaced by Malik Monk and Wayne Ellington, and I don't even think that the Lakers can sign and trade him because of the kind of money that they would have to create in order to even accept any other further contracts. So when it comes to Dennis Schroeder, He's going to come on a very cheap price for somebody. Um, we got a, a update um, from Bleacher Report while we were recording that said that he's in conversation with the Boston Celtics. Interesting because, of course, Reggie Jackson was in conversation with the Boston Celtics a couple of days ago. And, of course, now he's back with the Clippers. So that still opens up some point guard space for them. So it'll be interesting to see what the number for a guy like Dennis Schroeder is. But the other thing is just his overall fit on any of these teams. He's a high volume guy that, you know, is pesky on defense, but a bit of a gambler. Um, he's got a lot of Westbrook in him in terms of both sides of the floor, which can be a good or a bad thing, depending on how you view him, especially if he's a Westbrook light. He's a guy who kind of doesn't provide nearly the kind of impact Westbrook does while still having a lot of his bad habits. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he ends up and for what number. Uh, Jackson, I actually want to get your take on that just out of the fact that um, he is probably the most intriguing free agent left. I, I know some could say Kawhi Leonard, but I think Kawhi is just doing his due diligence. At the end of the day, I think he is going to resign with the Clippers. So next on the pecking order is Dennis. How do you feel about Dennis Schroeder as a player and what, like, in terms of, like, his play style and, like, what kind of teams do you think he actually fits on in terms of the kind of teams that should be pursuing him? Because I'm not really sure all that much. Yeah, I mean, I think the best version of Schroeder that we've ever seen is the Schroeder that we saw on um, OKC backing up Shea and um, CP. And I think that that six-man role really fits him well. Um, you could argue that he deserved the six-man of the year award that year. And I think just, like, his his numbers look really good just by the basic stats. His efficiencies looked good. And that was really the most aggressive Dennis Schroeder that I've ever seen and the most confident Dennis Schroeder. And in fact, like the one flaw on Schroeder, his whole career has been his three-point shooting. And that year, um, you could just view it as an outlier or just something that comes with coming off the bench, but he almost shot 40% three that year. So I think that that role fits him really well. 
Um, obviously, you mentioned the Celtics. Um, I think that he would be an interesting fit in the starting lineup. But again, like I think the best runner that we've seen is him coming off the bench. And I think that a uh, Celtics team that has struggled to find bench scoring, especially recently, I think that, again, you still have a void at point guard. I don't know how confident um, Brad Stevens um, or Ime Udoka are, are in Marcus Smart in terms of starting at the one. But I think Schroeder coming off the bench would be the best role for him. And I think on a team like the Celtics, who desperately need bench scoring, I think that would be the perfect fit for him, um, especially if he's taking around the MLE um, or the minimum. Um, it's, the thing is, will the Celtics do that? And are they confident enough in Marcus Smart? And the Celtics do have enough flexibility to where they could sign a guy who's starter quality um, and just have Marcus Smart come off the bench with um, Schroeder. Um, but if, at the end of the day, I think they should just start smart. Um, it's just a question of we've had rumors of Brad Stevens not liking Marcus Smart as a player. Um, but I think they should just put that aside and start smart, sign Schroeder, bring Schroeder off the bench. But, again, if he's only accepting the MLE um, or the minimum, I mean, that opens the floodgates a lot because, um, I mean, there's a lot of contending teams that could use that six-man um, type of player. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out, but um, yeah. Yeah, I think your point about Marcus Smart is big too, because uh, a lot of the discussions have been about him wanting, you know, an extension for four years, eighty million. And like you mentioned beforehand, when you talk about the rumors about Brad Stevens and his his feelings about Marcus Smart, four years, eighty million might be kind of steep. And if you can get a guy in Dennis Schroeder who can still be relatively ser- serviceable offensively he doesn't provide the kind of defensive impact that Marcus Smart does by any by any means but I do think he is a bit a smidge of an offensive upgrade um to Marcus Smart talk about Dennis Schroeder um if you can get him on the MLE or like you said beforehand even the vet minimum I doubt it'll be that low I view the MLE as being more likely the target that he's looking for but even that's got to be cheaper than what Marcus Smart is looking for. So if Brad Stevens is already not huge on him and they can basically get his replacement in this offseason, that also makes Marcus Smart a legit trade asset come trade deadline time, which gives them a little bit of flexibility as well. Um, Ryan, uh, quick thoughts on Dennis Schroeder in general, just like him as a player, like where you think he fits, if, if Boston is the ideal place or if somewhere else comes to mind. Just your quick thoughts on that too. I have to agree with Jackson because I think when we look at Dennis Schroeder as a player, he is more valuable as the sixth man coming off the bench. I believe in Oklahoma City he was a borderline all-star candidate, and I think he was a guy who was given Oklahoma City 20-5 and along with Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and he was doing it coming off the bench. So I think that he provides more coming off the bench than he does in the starting lineup. My feeling on Boston and their point guard situation is that at some point, I feel like they have to give Marcus Smart a chance to run this offense because all of their plans right now for signing a potential starting point guard are falling through. We don't know what the situation is on Damian Lillard in terms of a potential trade to Boston. So I feel like if you get Schroeder, it's probably better for you to start him off the bench and at least give Marcus Smart the first 10 games to prove that he can run an offense, because in the past he's shown that. 
Yeah, I think Marcus Smart has been pretty legit for them. There was there was moments last season. Me and Ian argued this, uh, argued against each other about this every now and then. But there were times where I genuinely believed that Marcus Smart was a better fit point guard wise next to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum than even Kimball Walker was. And um, I think that he should get the chance to really prove that. But at the same time, the kind of money he's demanding uh, could be uh, a little bit of a monkey wrench moving forward. Uh, two things. Um, it was confirmed during the podcast that Kawhi Leonard uh, is re-signing with the L.A. Clippers. Uh, it's just about the terms at this point. Pretty, pretty anticipated stuff. Nothing too, you know, climactic pretty much understood and then um in terms of what you said about Dennis Schroeder one more point that I wanted to make was that um there is a lot of discussion on the pod about him coming off the bench and being a strong six man but we do have to also throw out that the 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 three guard lineup of him along with Chris Paul uh Shea Gilgis Alexander and Danilo Gallinari at the four was one of the most efficient um starting groups in the NBA as well. I mean, pretty much it was an insert center here kind of thing, but they were one of the most, if the most efficient offensive groups in the NBA that season too, um, from a, from a starting lineup standpoint. So there are potential three guard lineups where he could be of big assistance to them. But of course, like you guys said beforehand, that six man role might be the most ideal thing for him. It'd be just like, like, Jackson said before, and it'll be interesting to see where he ends up because that will dictate a lot of what his role is moving forward. Um, and guys, we're going to close out the podcast with two little quick top fives. We're going to um, kind of summarize everything that we've talked about in terms of the players that have moved, the way the teams have gotten better or gotten worse, depending on how you view a lot of these off offseason transactions. And um, Brian, I'm actually going to start with you on this one. We're going to start in the Eastern Conference. Um, based on all the transactions that we've meet, that we've seen over the last couple of days, include the draft, include um, include the prior roster, what the roster looks like now. Who do you believe are the top five teams in the Eastern Conference? Now, for those listening, we do have to preference the comments by saying we're not saying this is how the seeding is going to end at the end of the season. I, I do want to throw that out there because there's a lot of teams that prioritize different things on their journey to the playoffs. Some teams want to just get to the playoffs healthy. Some teams want to be the top seed and get the, the most favorable matchups. Some teams want to put themselves in a position where they simply go in as the best version of themselves. And if that means taking a couple losses on the way in order to be able to make the proper adjustments, that's another thing that comes to mind as well. So we're not saying that these teams are going to finish in this pecking order in the stand endings but this is a power rankings based on who we believe the top five teams in each conference are just want to throw that out there so ryan uh who are your top five after everything we've seen seen in free agency in the draft so for number one i have the brooklyn nets they have kept the same core they got rid of landry shamit replaced them essentially with patty mills they had a great nba draft by getting cam thomas dayron sharp also kid kessler edwards i think could be a steal in the second round so i think this team could be poised for a championship run this year. Number two, I'm going to go with Milwaukee. It's mainly because they have the same core of players, and they also picked up George Hill as well to help with the point guard depth. I think losing P.J. Tucker could hurt this team, um, especially with what he provides on the defensive side. Offensively, he's not the same guy, like Jackson mentioned earlier, in terms of being a, a sharpshooter from the corner. I think Milwaukee still has enough talent, though, to make a run at the championship Number three, I'm actually going to go with the Atlanta Hawks. I think that with the ceiling that they have this year, I think they can meet they can meet that potential. 
This is a team that is just coming off of a Eastern Conference Finals appearance, and this team just made the playoffs for the first time since 2016. I think this was a successful season for them, and also re-signing John Collins and re-signing Lou Williams I thought were great moves to add to their impressive core right now. Number four, I'm actually going to go with Miami Heat. I really like this Miami Heat team. Getting Kyle Lowry to lead the offense, P.J. Tucker as a guy that they can provide something on the defensive side. Resigning Duncan Robinson, I thought was huge. They just made a lot of a lot of big moves that I think can help their championship case. And at number five, I was kind of stuck between the Philadelphia 76ers and the New York Knicks. I'm gonna go with the New York Knicks on this one. I think that this team has the potential to make an Eastern Conference Finals run. They fixed their point guard situation by getting Kemba Walker keeping Derrick Rose, keeping Narlins Noel, keeping Taj Gibson. I actually have a lot of faith in this team. I feel like this this is like the good old days in the early in the late nineties, early two thousands where this team had that Eastern Conference Finals, NBA Finals potential and I feel that there's a chance they can make that happen. Oh man. Ryan with the Knicks rose-colored glasses back on for another pod. I like it. Top five team in the Eastern Conference with some significant moves. I'm not mad at it. I'm actually not mad at it. I know normally I poke fun with you being a closet Knicks fan, but I think this is one of those situations where I think, I mean, it's really interesting because they did really improve. And with Philadelphia not having really any certainty about Ben Simmons moving forward, I don't think you could bring him back in that locker room with the way last season ended, especially from a media standpoint. But I also think that the kind of trade assets they're asking for makes his his price really steep. So they might just have to bring him back. And he's a top-level talent, so he's going to produce. But you just go to wonder what that team's going to look like. I still think that at the end of the day, the big, the big question people have to solve for me is who's stopping Joel Embiid? Because besides being sick and hurt, Joel Embiid has been a monster. He's coming off of a season where he finished um, second in the MVP race. So it'll be intriguing to see where he is. But as a team, as a full unit, New York is pretty scary. So I think that's intriguing. I got. Um, I definitely want to keep that in mind. Uh, when we get closer to the season, um, it'll be really interesting to see if you feel this way when we make our predictions, our preseason predictions for the seeding. Um, in the Eastern Conference, if you feel as though they're still a top five team. Uh, Jackson, um, it's your turn. Who do you believe are the top five teams in the Eastern Conference based on all the transactions we've seen, whether it's in the free agency or in the draft? Yeah, I think that the Nets are definitely number one. Um, they have the three superstars, three top 15 players in the league, and I feel like they had um, one of the best, if not the best, off seasons in the league. Um, again, they didn't have to do a whole lot. It's all about relativity when it had when you talking about all season moves and I feel like what they did was um really good, really underrated moves. Um second I got the Bucks. Um I'm not sold on this Bucks team for next year. Um my philosophy is again all, you're always trying to get better. I feel like the Nets did that and I'm not sure if the Bucks did that though. Um I think that getting Bobby Portis on a bargain is really good. Only four and a half million per year. Um but getting losing PJ Tucker is a tough one, and I think that it's going to be interesting to see their rotations next year. Getting George Hill helps just because they didn't have that backup point guard last year, but I feel like it's a lot of lateral movement with them, and it's going to be interesting to see how they come out. I personally feel they should have upgraded their center position, and a name to watch out for for them um, is even though 
he's kind of in the same mold as Brooke Lopez in that he's really immobile um, and doesn't really fit in any of their needs is DeMarcus Cousins just because he has that potential and he's a guy that can um, you can plug in um, because at some points, I mean, especially this was apparent in the finals, Brooke Lopez is unplayable um, just with his inability to um, his, his versatility is non-existent. And if he's not hitting three point shots for you, what is he really doing? Um, I feel like he's a lot better as a third option or a second option on a team. When he's the fourth option on this Bucks team, he is virtually unplayable at some moments as far as I'm concerned. Bobby Portis fits that guy, that fourth man role a lot better than um, Brooke Lopez. So it'll be interesting to see if they do make any more moves to bolster that bench. Um, third team, I got the Heat. Um, I really like the moves that they made. Um, just one spot above Ryan, pretty much all for the same reasons. Um they recently re-signed Oladipo. I think he's going to be really good, um, assuming that they bring him off the bench. Um, I think that they, you know, they didn't give Duncan Robinson $90 million for nothing. So I think that um, Duncan's going to start, but I think Oladipo could be a six-man-of-the-year candidate off the bench. Um, people forget that um, he averaged 21 points per game on Houston. Um, it wasn't the prettiest 21 points per game or the most efficient 21, um, but I think having an offseason to get healthy, I think that he's going to be a force and I think that he's he's my my early pick for six man of the year, assuming that they ring him off the bench um, with that elite starting five. Um, for, I got the teams in the league, one of the younger cores in the league. Um, they're just going to continue to improve as all young teams do, and they're really on an accelerated track right now. So I think that they could easily surpass the Heat um, just based on that alone. But um, resigning John Collins was big, and I think just having John Collins, Trey Young, um, Bogdanovich Herter. Um, they drafted um, really well. They got Jalen Johnson, who's a, another young developmental piece, and Sharif Cooper has just some really high upside. So I think they did well this offseason as well. Um, and then my last team, I'm going to have to go with the Sixers at five. Um, they did get a lot worse. Um, Drummond is a downgrade from Dwight Howard. Um and we don't know what we're going to get out of Simmons next year. They did re-sign Danny Green recently, so um, that's good. They keep that core group of players together. But um, it'll be interesting to see what they, they do with Ben Simmons because there seems to be some serious chemistry issues there. Um, but whoever they trade Simmons for at this point, if they if they do end up trading him, I think will be good for the team. So just based on that, um, I think that I'm good with keeping them at that five spot. Yeah, I think um so just for everybody listening, I'm not gonna read my list now just because me and Jackson pretty much have the same list verbatim. Um a lot of the points that were made are really important in terms of the, the, the pecking order of things. The one I want to touch on the most when it comes to Jackson's list is Milwaukee. The lateral movement is uh, a really a really big point because of the fact that you talk about how Brooklyn improved and this entire Eastern Conference has gotten so much better. So for Milwaukee to basically have uh, gotten their championship and ran, essentially, you know, being reluctant to pay um, over the luxury tax to be able to get a guy like uh, P.J. Tucker. Um, yes, getting Bobby on a on a nice deal was cool. It was actually confirmed uh, during the podcast that a trade was made, um, acquiring Grayson Allen for uh Sam Merrill, who was a late second round pick for them a season ago, along with two future second round picks. Uh picks that Milwaukee's obviously not stressing uh right now. They're still in the uh, you know, upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. 
So uh, I think getting a guy in Grayson Allen who can help spread the floor, getting Dante DiVincenzo back healthy, who they missed on that playoff run last season, um, are all um, upgrades in their own right. Um, Jackson, I think your point about DeMarcus Cousins is an intriguing one because he can spell a couple minutes for them at the center position and um, give them a different look that I think is, um, although he is a, a bit similar to Brooke, I think there's a lot of things that he does differently, especially from a ball handling standpoint, that'll be kind of interesting. Obviously, they're not going to give him the rock and let him, you know, make moves how he would in his old Sacramento Kings days. But I think he'll be an interesting guy in pick and roll opportunities as a guy who can kind of make a play. Definitely a high level passer as well um, out of that low post area. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, if maybe he's a guy that Milwaukee uh, takes a takes a run at with the with the veteran minimum or something of that like. Um, with that being the case, like I said, does this save us time considering the fact that I have the same list as Jackson instead? Well, I'm just going to ask for real quick um, from both of you is just um, Jackson, I'll start with you. Who was your honorable mention in terms of a team that just barely missed your cut for the top five in the East? Yeah, I feel like these. There's three teams, the Knicks, the Celtics, and the Bulls, that are going to be within three games of each other when the season ends. But um, I'll go with the Knicks just because they were the team last year who overachieved. And even though they overachieved, they really had a really nice balanced roster um, and the best defense in the league, um, and they added to that. Um, the Celtics kind of struggled last year, and they kind of have the same roster. We'll see what happens with Schroeder. And the Bulls were a bad team last year. They added two great players in free agency, but we're going to have to see how they gel and what that bench is going to look like. So I'll go with the Knicks just based on the additions of Kemba and Fournier and, you know, all I've said about the Knicks, I've probably already said, but um, yeah, I mean, they have a plethora of guards off the bench that can put the ball in the bucket and they're going to be really fun to watch next year. Yeah, Ryan, you already had the Knicks in the top five, so that that puts you in a really interesting spot in terms of your honorable mention. Um, I guess the, the cop answer would have been Philadelphia considering the way the pecking order is but is that true I mean do you have um either Chicago or the Celtics above them or do you feel like Philadelphia is that next team up I think I'm gonna have to go with Philadelphia because I like the moves that Chicago made I just want to see how they all gel together on the floor because of course this is a very athletic team now so I think the interesting lineup changes that we mentioned earlier on the podcast I think Billy Donovan could implement some of those. I think the Celtics, I have just way too many questions about them right now, especially with the point guard position, depending on what happens with Marcus Smart, depending on what happens with Dan Schroeder. I'm ultimately going to go with Philly because they made a move that I think was beneficial to something that they didn't have in that conference semifinal series, re-signing Danny Green. I think that Danny Green could have been a huge factor in that series, and it's unfortunate that he missed the last couple of games of that series, but I think getting him back as a guy that can give you 15 points and also a solid 3 and D guy, I think that could be huge. So for that reason, Philly is my honorable mention. Yeah, and um, I got to go with Jackson on this one. Um, Brian, I'm not usually a bigger, a, a big proponent of the New York Knicks. I was one of those people that with their team, I just felt as though they were a little bit um, – more defensive heavy um last year and I felt like the fact that they weren't a team that could really put up points was one of the biggest downfalls for them that did end up bringing his ugly head against um Atlanta to my benefit of course but with that being the case I still think that they made a lot of upgrades this offseason that makes them a really interesting team this upcoming year 
So they would be my honorable mention. I originally had Chicago here, but I just think that, especially that Kemba Walker say, uh, on signing really saved their offseason in terms of them improving this offseason. So um, I have to have them at six. But um, I'm still going to make a little bit of a bold declaration on the podcast because I feel as though this is one that I want to lean into and it's something that I want to hold my foot to the fire on throughout the season. So um, my belief um, I bet on the podcast, I don't know what for yet. We'll have to figure out what the consequences are if I lose out at the end of the season. But I am picking all three of my teams in the Eastern Conference. Yes, all three. I'm obsessed with the East Coast. Don't ask me. I'm a guy who was born in Atlanta. I was raised a Chicago Bulls fan under my dad. And I'm a guy who lives in Baltimore, Maryland. So I'm a fan of the Wizards almost by default. But, you know, I love that team, too. So. I'm going to say on the pod that I believe all three of my teams being the Atlanta Hawks, the Chicago Bulls, and the Washington Wizards will all make the playoffs next season. I am going to be really intrigued to see how this ages. It'll be really, it would be really, um, cool if I were right because it would also put me in a really weird spot come playoff time in terms of trying to pick some series depending on how those matchups go so it'll be really interesting to see how that all goes but I'm just going to make that little bold declaration now that I think some of these other teams are going to have to catch the boot yes Ian I think your Celtics might have to catch this work um, I also believe some of the other interesting teams like the Charlotte Hornets and um, some of those other teams towards the bottom that got better um, are going to be in that dogfight, but I'm going to take my teams over them. Um, let's go to the Western Conference to close things out. Ryan, I'm going to start with you on this side of the bracket this, this time. Um, who are your top five teams in the Western Conference following free agency in the NBA draft? So for number one, I'm going to go with the Phoenix Suns. I think what they did last year was impressive, especially what, what happened in the bubble going 8-0 and and then just translating that over to this season, re-signing Chris Paul, getting Landry Shamit as – a guy that can give you more scoring coming off the bench. I think an underrated signing could be JaVale McGee because I think the one thing that the Suns were lacking in that Bucks series was more front court depth, and I think getting a guy like JaVale McGee can help you with that. Number two, I'm going to go with the Utah Jazz. This was a team that did not make a lot of moves, but the moves they made were pretty big. I think re-signing Mike Conley was huge to add to the backcourt depth, getting a guy in Rudy Gay. He's not he's not somebody that can give you 20 points a game, but I think he can give you a sufficient amount of scoring and add to Utah's bench depth. Number three, I have to go with the Denver Nuggets, and I think they're a very interesting team. They definitely made a lot of good moves in the offseason, signing Jeff Green, re-signing Jermichael Green. I think re-signing Austin Rivers is huge, considering that they need a starting point guard for, for the foreseeable future, as we don't know the timetable for Jamal Murray. There's going to be a lot of interesting moves that I think It'll be interesting to see if the Denver Nuggets will make it back to the Western Conference Final. Number four, I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Clippers. I think they needed to do what they needed to do in the offseason. They needed to re-sign Nick Batum. They needed to re-sign Kawhi Leonard. They needed to re-sign Reggie Jackson. So I think for those reasons, they're number four. And then number five, I'm going to go with the Dallas Mavericks. I think what they did last season, taking the Clippers to seven games, I thought was impressive. I think Tim Hardaway Jr.'s ascension as a second option for the Dallas Mavericks was huge, and then also just being able to re-sign him was great for the Dallas Mavericks. Also getting Sterling Brown and Reggie Bullock as as great three-point shooters from their respective teams I think could be very beneficial. So 
that is my top five. Yeah, two interesting names in this list. Obviously, uh, the Clippers, yes, they are bringing back Kawhi Leonard, but it'll be interesting to see when he is able to be back on the floor. That's going to be the thing that we have to keep an eye on with the Clippers all year because their championship aspirations do kind of lie on the back of whether or not he's going to be available next season. And then I think Luke and the Mavs, I think we're seeing a lot. Um, unfortunately, uh, took a big L to France. Um, uh, talk about the Slovenian, uh, national team, but I mean, Luca had himself a ball over there, um, in the Olympics and was, you know, literally one bucket away. Uh, ironically, we're just talking about the Clippers. Nicholas Patum was the one who made the, uh, big time block, but, uh, he's having himself a ball over there. And I think that he's going to translate that play overseas, uh, back over here. And he was a, Preseason favorite for MVP last season. I would not be surprised if he was somewhere in the top three or the top five in those preseason um, rankings this upcoming season with the fact that I think that he could really have a scary year. Um, Jackson, who are your top five? Um, two intriguing names that are missing on Ryan's list are the uh, Lakers and the Warriors, two teams that I definitely think um, are going to be trying to be pretty interesting this year. Um, it'll be Interesting to see if they end up on your list. Uh, so share it with public, I guess, so who you believe the top five teams in the Western Conference are. Yeah, so I got the Nuggets one. I think that, you know, this is not a standings prediction. This would be mm-hmm. different if I was, if I was doing that. Um, cause the teams that I have in the top two, frankly, probably might, I might have one crack in the top five. The top three is that. Um, but I think the Nuggets are the best team in the West just based on the fact that when Jamal gets healthy, um, that bolsters their depth just because you're moving Monte Morris or somebody to the bench, um, which they desperately needed depth. Um, that was apparent in the Sun series especially. Um, and, you know, I would have liked to see them go for a guy like Reggie Jackson. Um, and they could still go for a guy like Schroeder. It depends what his asking price is. But um, that is probably unrealistic. But as as constructed – um, I will still take them one just because yeah, they have the MVP. They have a young star in MPJ. Um, and then Jamal Murray coming back from injury. I mean, he's going to continue to progress, hopefully. And I think once he comes back, they're going to hit the ground running. Um, you mentioned the Jeff Green signing. I think that's pretty big for them. Um, Jermichael Green is going to be big for them. And um, I think that really they're really a complete team. Maybe they make a move around the deadline for a bench scorer. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Will Barton, um, whether they start him or come off the bench based on last um, season in the playoffs. But I got them one. Number two, I got the Lakers. Um, I feel like they missed a few opportunities after trading for Westbrook in terms of just their signings. Um, I feel like Rudy Gay would have been a much better fit for this team than Carmelo. I thought that um, Patty Mills would have been a great signing for this team. But they missed out on them. Um, they rebounded nicely with Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn, um, but, you know, all in all, I think it was a solid offseason for them. Um, I think that the Westbrook um, signing was definitely a positive, and we're just going to have to see if that spacing works. Um, I like that they signed Dwight Howard just as some insurance at center, because even though I think Anthony Davis will eventually start center for them, um, with Anthony Davis's injury history, you never know. So having a guy like Dwight um, is great to have especially when Marcus Gasol is coming off a game where he scored zero points um, for Spain, um, and he's really showing his age. Um, so I, I don't know if I trust Marcus Gasol with starting center minutes anymore. So it's good that they got Dwight. 
Um, three, I got to go with the Suns. Um, I mean, they're the, they made the finals last year. They're the reigning Western Conference champions. I think that they bolstered their depth, as I said. Again, I'm not too high on them in terms of making the finals or anything, but they are very a very solid team, and they deserve to be in this top three. Um, next team, um, I got to go with the Clippers just because at four, just because they, as Ryan mentioned, they did what they had to do. Um, and I think that they're going to finish outside the top five in terms of record. But when they're healthy, they have Kawhi, they have Paul George, um, and I think that they have the depth necessary um, to make a run at these top three teams. And then lastly, I have the Warriors at five. I think that Steph Curry, surrounded by a competent supporting cast, is going to be enough to get them comfortably into the playoffs. Um, we're going to see what version of Clay Thompson we have. I think a 16-point-per-game Clay Thompson on solid shooting numbers, if he can play some solid defense, um, I think that would be great for them. And um, I think that the young guns that they have, whether they trade them for some, um, some someone like Pascal Siakam, some older veteran pieces, or keep them, I think that Moses Moody is going to play a big role in their team. We're going to see how Jonathan Kaminga's um, development progresses, but I think Wiggins, um, Wiseman, Wiseman's progression, I think having Draymond, I think that's going to be enough to get them comfortably in. Yeah, I think the, the, the Warriors are the interesting team in this one because the depth wise, it's all about development. If their guys can really develop, um, they lost Kelly Oubre, but they brought in a guy in Otto Porter who I think will be interesting and might actually fit Golden State's scheme a little bit more as a three and D wing for them. Jonathan Kaminga is played relatively well in the very short early comings of the summer league, which would be a really good sign. Same thing with Moses Moody. Be interesting to see how much kind of how much time they get. Um, especially because they join a very young group next to guys like Jordan Poole, Nico Mannion, and obviously James Wiseman. So uh we'll have to keep an eye on their development because I think that those two in particular could have if they if they hit their top end strides early, could have a really significant impact on this season in terms of where the Golden State Warriors end up in the standings just out of the fact that I think there are going to be certain opportunities for them to play big minutes and they're going to play meaningful games too. So that'll be really important because this is a team that's chasing the playoffs for sure. Um, my top five is, is a little bit different from both of you guys, which is really cool um, because it just goes to show you how, uh, how weird the, the West is because I think in comparison to the Eastern Conference, there's no definitive one team at the top with a trickle-down effect. I think you can really go just about any route you want to go. You know, Ryan had the Suns at one. Jackson had the um, the Nuggets at one. I mean, and ironically, they both had them interchange where, you know, Ryan had the Nuggets at three and Jackson had the Suns at three. Um, so I think that's a really interesting point, too, just to see, you know, how weird the West is. So for my top five, I, I agree with Ryan. I have the Suns at number one. They're running it back as uh, constructed as the reigning Western Conference champs, as Jackson mentioned before. And I think uh, Landry Shamit, pretty decent pickup offensively for them. Another ball handler for them on the outside helps with the fact that I think they're going to have to slow up on um, heavy minutes from a guy like CP3. I mean, I already didn't expect him to play him a crazy load with the uh, with the up in age that he's is getting, but um, at the same time, I feel as though he's going to be a decent guy. And JaVale McGee, uh, man, when Dario Sarge went down, this team got murdered when a guy like uh, when um, 
DeAndre Ayton was sent to the bench, especially when he got in foul trouble. So I think that JaVale McGee is going to be an athletic center uh, that can spell them some minutes, can give them 10 to 12 solid minutes on both sides of the floor as a rim runner, decent defender around the rim too. Um, and number two, I got the Lakers. I, I really, it's weird. I wasn't a super huge fan of the Russell Westbrook trade, um, at least from the Lakers standpoint because of all the money allocated for them, but they, they made a lot of decent moves after the fact. And if you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis healthy, it's hard to argue that any team in the Western Conference is better than that pairing um, when they have decent guys around them. And they made it clear through their offseason moves with guys like Kent Bazemore, like Wayne Ellington, um, that they addressed the big need for this team, which was three-point shooting. Um, and by doing that, it makes them look a lot better now. Now, it's still going to be an interesting fit with Westbrook and LeBron, but I think that you can make that work when you talk about the fact that LeBron is a really, really nice passer, and I think this will make Russell Westbrook, if he plays to his strengths, it'll turn him back into an elite cutter, which was something in his early seasons with Oklahoma City was kind of what put him on the map was he was an elite slasher that finished at the rim really strong. And I think he still has decent athleticism to be one of those top end talents around the rim. Um, and number three, I think Utah Jazz, um, Utah Jazz were not on, uh, were not on Jackson's list. And uh, they were relatively high on Ryan's list. I think that the Utah Jazz can really fall anywhere between one and six, depending on how you feel about them. They didn't really improve very much, if at all. They kind of got tied up money-wise. And their relatively older roster, Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal, um, Jordan Clarkson was a, uh, a decent uh, player for them last year as a six-man-of-the-year um, candidate and winner. Um, they have a really solid roster. It'll be interesting to see if they're just topping um, out as like a, a first round exit team, which is really hard to say when you talk about a top end talent like Donovan Mitchell. But it just seems like they keep running into that first round roadblock. And I'm not sure if they can burst past it, but I still think that just from your talent standpoint, they stack up pretty well against the rest of the Western Conference. Um, I got the Denver Nuggets at four. It has a lot to do with Nikola Jokic. It has a lot to do with the fact that I still think um, Jamal Murray will play this upcoming season. Um, it'll just all be about win. And I think that Nikola Jokic can stare the shit while he's gone. He proved that in the back 20 games or so um, of last season, as well as, you know, that big playoff series against Portland. And then at number five, I've got Golden State. I mean, anytime you pair the two best shooters in the world and um, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson on the floor, you have to give them a puncher's chance at the championship. Another year with Draymond Green, who actually will probably be relatively engaged this year knowing that they have a real shot at, at the playoffs as a legit contender um Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody like you guys mentioned before in the top end um guys could be real quick contributors if they you know show up big early James Wiseman you know you'd like to hope in season two that they'd make a really good play um at getting him some more minutes and getting some significant improvement from him um and I think some of their little signings like Otto Porter was also pretty good for them as well. So those are my top five. Um, we're gonna do quick uh, runarounds real quick with the with the honorable mentions. Uh, Jackson, who is your honorable mention in terms of the team that just barely missed this top five for you? Yeah, I think you got to go with the Jazz, just because of the fact that they retained their core that was the one seed last year, and I don't know how strong 
of a team that they're going to be next year. I think that outside of Donovan Mitchell, their the potential or their ceiling of their roster is pretty much capped. Um, as you said, they have a lot of older pieces, and I think that that's going to be interesting moving forward. I would have liked to see them make a move to get younger while still maybe getting better as well. Um, I thought a guy like Jeremy Grant would have been in the running um, to acquire, and because they were shopping guys like Boyan and Joe Ingles, I would still like to see them trade one of those guys. Um, my Personally, I would like to see them trade Boyan because I think Ingles is actually um, more valuable just as a bench player um, and as a guy who can stretch the floor really efficiently. But um, I think that they're a really interesting roster, but I think the way that they maximize their potential is that actually if they bring Mike Conley off the bench, um, kind of as like a Goran Dragic um, kind of move that the Heat made a couple of years ago, because Goran, people forget that maybe Goran wasn't a legit all-star um, when he made the all-star game, but the year after, I mean, the Heat brought him off the bench, he bought into that role, um, and it paid off for them during the playoffs, um, and I think it could be a very similar thing. And Utah, if they decide to do that, um, Mike Conley, you could argue if he deserved to make the All-Star game or not, but he's still a very high-level um, point guard, older guy. And I think that if he they bring him off the bench with a bench lineup of him, Clarkson, and Ingles, uh, I think that's how they maximize their potential because I think Donovan Mitchell as a ball handler has a lot of potential as a playmaker. Um, and I think that's how you get the most out of Donovan Mitchell, and I think that's how you get the most out of their bench unit and their depth. Solid. I've never really thought about the idea of bringing Mike Conley off the bench. Maybe that's just because of the price tag that he's usually associated with in most of these discussions. But I I do think that would be an interesting fit considering that the bench mob for Utah last season was ridiculous. And I think Utah, I think Utah did have Mike Conley at the lead of that, leading those bench units next to guys like Joe Ingles as well, alongside uh, Jordan Clarkson. And they were killers in that second unit so i think that that might actually be something worth experimenting with where they start at the point guard position will be the intriguing you know story in that you know that that lineup but i think that it's something that might be worth you know experimenting with when you take in the statistical output they had last year talking about that bench unit with mike conley at the helm alongside with their typical bench rotation um ryan who was the team that just barely missed the top five for you in the west I'm going to say Golden State because I think when we talk about the fact that the Splash Brothers are going to be reunited this year, I think what you mentioned with Draymond Green, I think now that that Golden State actually has a chance of making it back to the NBA Finals this year, given the moves that they've made, the return of Clay Thompson, signing Otto Porter. I think getting Andre Iguodala was an interesting signing because I think he could provide more scoring at age 37 coming off the bench. Are we going to get 2015 Andre, Andre Iguodala? I'm going to say no for now, but this gives very 2015 Warriors championship vibes. So I think, I think it'll be very interesting to see what this team looks like now that the gang is all back together. Yeah, I think the Andre Iguodala signing is one of those that could have fell into our underrated signings uh, section of the pod, especially depending on how he, how his output. Um, is this upcoming season not much of a contributor with the Heat, which is probably one of the big things that has us a little cause to pause in terms of how he can, you know, really be a contributor for 
um, Golden State, but he knows the system. He's a high IQ player. If they ask him to simply play defense and spot up and shoot threes, kind of like what I think they're going to ask Otto Porter to do, I think he fits into that role really well. And I think the spacing is way better in Golden State by a long shot than what they had in Miami, which might also help with Iggy's play on the floor because it'll open a lot of things up for him in ways that I just don't think Miami had the personnel for. Um, my honorable mention was the Clippers. Um, I, I made a note of this when I was putting my stuff together that I genuinely believe that this team talking about the honorable mention it could have been Utah instead and I honestly could have had the Clippers at three if Kawhi Leonard were healthy if he does play this season this completely goes out the window and I feel like they're easily the second or third best team in the Western Conference. Some could argue maybe they're the best team in the West, considering this team put up a fight against the Phoenix Suns and pushed it into a very long series without Kawhi Leonard. So you could argue that they're a top three team with the potential of being the best team in the Western Conference if Kawhi Leonard is healthy. So we'll have to see what he's projected, um, how he's projected coming up, because if he does play this year and he plays even at 80% of what Kawhi Leonard has typically been, then I think I think the Clippers are easily, you know, in the front running spot as one of the top two, if not at the worst, top three teams in the Western Conference. Um, but um, yeah, guys, that's all I have for you guys today. Uh, Jackson, I really appreciate you coming on to the pod. For those who don't know, this is our second run at this, and I actually think this second run was even better than our first. We got into a little bit of stuff that we didn't even talk about on our first uh trial at this. This is a really fun episode, Ryan. Before I hand things to you to get us out of here, uh, Jackson, I want to let you get the final word on. Um, really anything in terms of the NBA, whether it's your, uh, you know, your hype for the next season coming up, any free agency moves that you're, um, really intrigued by that we didn't talk about beforehand. Um, if you want to talk about your favorite team, we didn't really get a gauge of that. If you have a favorite team, you can rave about them for a sec. The floor is yours to talk about whatever you want to. Yeah. Um, first, I want to thank you for having me on the podcast. It was a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to do future ones, but, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Miami Heat guy, um, so I like I like the off season that we had, um, but I'm I'm from the um, Washington um, D.C. area, so I also like the Wizards. So I think I think both my teams had pretty good off season moves. But I'm an NBA fan first, so I'm just um, happy to see like just the moves that have happened. I think that um, the trade market isn't done yet. I think there's some guys that have to be traded. We talked about Simmons. Um, Siakam, CJ McCollum. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there, if anything. Um, but I'm looking forward to just, you know, summer league is going on right now and we got the young guys playing. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited for the next NBA season. And again, I'm doing a lot of the same stuff that these guys are doing just in another media form over at Hot Takes on Hoops. And, um, I got off season grades coming out soon. Um, we kind of, touched on some of the winners um, in this podcast. So um, it's pretty similar. So, yeah, just thank you for having me on. and Looking forward to doing future ones. Yeah, definitely. We surely plan on having uh, Jackson on more frequently. I'm glad that we were able to find out he is a Miami Heat fan because that is something we have to keep in our back pocket for this Wheel of Fandom series as a potential person to bring on to talk some Heat hoops because they definitely made some interesting moves this offseason. I think we can take an even deeper delve into not only the Heat as a roster, but Jackson as a fan 
um, from his perspective, exactly how he feels about his team moving forward. So that'll be definitely something for you guys to expect um, sometime in the immediate future. Um, um, if you guys have not already clicked on his Instagram since uh, since the beginning of this problem, when we promoted it. Hot Takes on Hoops, definitely a solid follow. If you're an NBA fan, you you're sleeping if you're not checking this this uh this page out definitely solid graphics i've already used some of his graphics that he uh that he's made as wallpapers for my phone hilariously enough like i said his his graphics have also inspired some of the topics that me and ryan have discussed to plan out for the next couple of weeks too um including this one so yeah definitely give that a follow uh ryan it's been a solid episode man get us up out of here bro it's close strong we want to thank our guest Jackson Chin for joining us and talking about NBA free agency with us and transitioning to our question of the day for our fans. Who do you believe are the top five teams in the Eastern and Western conferences? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.